Welcome back, everyone, to MX Asian American. Today we have Roran. You want to introduce yourself first? Sure. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, so my name is Roran Choi. I am one of the co-owners and co-operators of Magpie and the Tiger in DC, our restaurant. Yeah. Awesome. Um, just just to start off a little bit, um, could you tell us a little bit about how and where you grew up? Yeah. Sure. So um, I'm second generation Korean. Um, my parents were from Seoul and then they immigrated here to New York City in, uh, I don't know exactly when the year was, but they were like 28. <laughs> and then, um, so I was born in Queens in Flushing, uh, New York. And that's where me and my older brother and my family grew up for about until I think I was like five or six-ish years old. And then um, somebody presented my dad with a uh, business opportunity. So um, like a ton of other Korean <laughs> um, first generation people, um, he got into beauty supply. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't really a market for that up in Rochester, New York, which is like right near like Niagara Falls, um, like that kind of upstate area. So worked out. So my dad moved us all the way up there. And then I did, I like, was in the same school district essentially um, for forever until I graduated. And then I came down to DC for college. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was here. I did um, undergrad and grad school here and then, you know, did kind of a lot of different jobs. And then I have just kind of been here since. All right. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, how was it like moving from Queens to Rochester? Is, so is, different right <laughs> and it's so. crazy yeah and it's crazy because like you know I I think it, it's so funny what like kids fixate on right mm -hmm. but um I remember like I distinctly remember when I was like super young I must have been like four years old or something like that but I remember like an adult saying to me like oh you're not gonna remember anything when you're little and I was just like like he, he had no recollection of like, you know, when he was like four or five or, you know, he had some memories, but not really anything. Uh -huh. So I made it like a point. <laughs> I was like, uh -huh. I'm going to remember uh -huh. everything. And like, so I could actually like, even to this day, I could tell you like what my lunchbox looked like when oh I was gosh. in like preschool. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it was like, cause I was like, I'm going to remember, but, um, I like very much, you know, we had the area that we lived in. Um, it was like a lot of Korean families lived in that same complex. Mm -hmm. and it was like apartments um like really old like apartments it was all we could afford but in the middle there was like this like small courtyard so like obviously all the kids would just like go outside and play there um so I have like really distinct memories of like this tiny New York City courtyard but it, like to me it was like field right because yep. like I didn't know any better mm -hmm. and like you know going into like the like Macy's with my mom and my mom's like hold my hand you can't <laughs> let go you know like there's so much danger going on um but then all of a sudden we moved to Rochester and I'm like, oh, that's what a field is like, oh, that's what grass and trees mm -hmm. look like, you know, mm -hmm. like I had never really like seen it before. So mm -hmm. it was really different. And it's like, you know, it's so much calmer. It's so much quieter. Yeah. And so it's like the it's like your quintessential kind of like white picket fence suburb. So, yeah, so that was it was really different. But I remember liking it because I felt like. I think I just, I like, especially as a little kid, I like loved the outdoors. So like, I was always like that kid who was coming home with scrapes and bumps. Cause I was like roller skating or like climbing trees. And my mom's like, again, I'm like, yeah, yeah. 
Well, yeah, once you move there, now you actually like have space and stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how you got or what how you decided your college experience and um, what you studied in college um, yeah. and then grad school. Yeah, so I took a weird path. Uh, I like a lot of my friends like to say that I've like lived a lot of lives and I'm like only 31. (laughs) But um, so I was like really involved in my church when I was younger. And like a big part of that was because I mean, I'm sure a lot of like Asian Americans can relate to this is like, even if you weren't like religious, that was where you found a group of your people. Yep. Yeah. And so that's like my dad was like religious my mom not so much but like especially moving out of New York City where there's like a huge concentration of like um your people uh mm-hmm. and moving up to Rochester like farmland basically you know <laughs> you're not it's really hard to find people just like that look like you and eat like you just uh-huh. going to the grocery store right yep. so um and I think that the guy that originally I have to like ask my dad about this but I'm pretty sure that the guy that originally gave him that business opportunity was like through church Hmm. and so like he got connected with like a church up in Rochester um and so yeah so we were like really involved with church and then kind of in my high school years of church uh we started doing like missions trips and stuff like that aka just like we were just going to different countries and like I've, I've always loved traveling I've always loved like learning different languages and stuff and so I felt like maybe that's like what I should do. And, you know, I grew up in not the most traditional, like Korean family, you know, like my mom and dad weren't like, you have to be a doctor or lawyer. Like it wasn't that kind of stereotype, mm-hmm. but they were just like, we just don't want you to suffer. You know, like we mm-hmm. don't want you to, cause like owning a small business in Rochester, like without a lot of help and immigrating to this company or this country. And my dad was, um, he's the first born son of his like family yeah and so he was like fully responsible for everybody yeah Yeah. and so like my so he my grandparents came over first it's actually really funny so they like legally divorced in Korea and got married to random people in Oklahoma that they've never met to get papers yeah yeah. like yeah and then (laughs) they got the papers and then my grandparents came over and then like a week later, you know, like, because the, their kids, they're their kids. And so, or they are their kids that they like got to come over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like my parents came over and then like a couple years later, my like younger, his younger brother and younger sister came over too. Um, so, but he was the only one that was like out of schooling age. Mm. So everyone else was like in middle school or high school. And um, he was like, you know, he had to make some money. So he did the thing where he like, you know, got a line cook job and did all that, but like, he like really struggled and like my mom really struggled, but like they did it, they did the thing. Um, So their whole thing was just like, it doesn't, it kind of almost doesn't matter what you do, but just like do something that like, you know, you're going to be comfortable. We don't want you to like do what we did. Mm-hmm. And of course the thing that I choose is <laughs> cooking. <laughs> and I'm like, like, you know, I have a master's degree, but I'm going to cook eggs for a living. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So I actually, but because of all the, like the traveling and stuff, I thought, you know, the way to kind of be respectable, quote unquote, or whatever was to go into like international studies and like politics. Mm. So that's what brought me to DC in the first place. Um, I was like, I was that overambitious kid. Like I was like all AP 
classes. I was part of like 18 orchestras, like, like model UN president, you know, I was like very much an overachiever. And so still am, but I thought that that was the route. So I did that in college and that's what I studied, but all throughout college and like almost like right before I left for college, I had gotten into like the food network and like, you know, just like cooking for myself and my friends. And like, I loved it. So I had this like fleeting moment where I was like, should I just like not go to college and just like cook or like go to culinary school? And then, you know, met with lots of laughter and like, you must be joking, you know? (laughs) So, and even I thought it was ridiculous. So I was just like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I'll just do the thing. So I went to college, graduated, and then at the time I was like very, very serious about my faith. And I actually thought that I wanted to like work for the church. Mm -hmm. So I actually ended up going to seminary. So I went to Wesley Theological Seminary, did, um, wasn't trying to go there to become a pastor, but more of what it was, was one, I had no plan out of senior year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was like, Ooh, getting a job seems like a lot. And so like, mixed with my anxiety and ADHD. I was just like, I don't want to, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't apply for jobs. So I just didn't (laughs) like, I just like froze and I just like, couldn't do it. And then, you know, I was like, well, grad school is kind of an option. I had this one professor who I'm still really close with. And he was always like, you have the brain for a PhD. You should just do a PhD. And I was just like, Ooh, that sounds like a lot of school. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I like school that much. Um, so yeah, so I, I was just like kind of considering a lot of options. And then it was honestly, I was in Thailand on an island and I was like, I just need to do something. So I literally just applied to like one seminary, checked a box that said, do you want to be considered for a scholarship? Because you didn't have to write an essay. You just had to check a box. I was like, sure, check that box. And then went back to enjoy the beach. <laughs> like it was like, I paid $30 or like 30 cents for like 30 minutes um, in an internet cafe on this island and just like wrote my grad school application and got in surprisingly. And I was like, hey, guess that's what I'm doing. And it just like, honestly alleviated my anxiety. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I don't have to like apply for a job. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I ended up getting like most of it paid for with the scholarship. So I was just like, yeah, at the, at the very least it's like, um, giving me more time to like, kind of like think about what I want to do. Yeah. So did that. And then I ended up majoring in something called public theology, which is just like an understanding of my faith with uh, like modern day politics. Mm-hmm. So, and the reason why, like the, the more deeper impetus for going into, for going to seminary, seminary though, was that like, I grew up Christian but I had a lot of questions because my upbringing and education was very progressive. Like we learned like emotional intelligence and like um, just like so many, like, like uh, what's it called? Like sex education and stuff like super early, like fourth grade, fifth grade. Like they were teaching us like all of this, like really, I guess what you consider progressive stuff um, really early on. And one of the things that they really pushed in my school district was critical thinking. And they were just like, don't just take everything at face value. Don't just like, take, like really, really think about this like stuff. And like, if you're going to like, you know, buy into something like really, really think about it, ask the hard questions, do that. And like, that was like drilled into me in my school district, mm-hmm. um, which was great. 
Um, but that was kind of what I brought to my religion. And I was just like, you know, I have all these questions and like, no one was really able to answer them. So for me, I was just like, well, I, I'm trained in this kind of education. Why don't I just bring that towards my faith mm-hmm. and do some more exploration on my own, essentially. And the benefit is they're paying for it. So why not? You know, it was little, and, the, and if anything, it like bought me some time too, right? Exactly. Just to like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So did that for a while, graduated, and then still kind of felt like I should work for the church or like, you know, that's where I felt like called to. Did that for a little bit, but then realized like, mm, no, <laughs> this isn't it. This is not it for me. Um, and that's when I decided I really love food. I really love restaurants. And this is at the time, by the way, um, this is like 2015 ish. So this is like the height of all those like top chef, you know, Mm. and like the big, like food for like hell's kitchen. And, you know, it just seems so intense, seems so impossible to get into. Uh Like it didn't seem so accessible, but I was like, I'm 23. I think I was like 23 at the time, something like that. I was really young. I had no student debt. Thank God. I like was still in the city that I like, you know, wasn't for college. And I was just like, I kind of have nothing to lose, you know, like if this goes to shit, I'll just go home, you know, like, and just like figure it out. But like, why not? Right. It's Mm -hmm. just like, I literally felt like I had nothing to lose. So I did a cold call interview. Like I literally just walked into Momofuku, which was opening in DC. And I was like, hi and I honestly didn't have the guts to be like I want to work in the kitchen so I was just Uh like I'm just gonna try to get my foot in the door in any way so I was just like (laughs) I will be like the lowest of the low position but I just want to do something and they were like well obviously you don't have any experience so like we couldn't have you be a server but like how about being a food runner and I was like that sounds awesome and like the manager and I hosting the interview like ended up just like getting along really well so I think she was just like you know you don't have a lot of experience but I feel like you're smart and I feel like you have a good work ethic so like sure and I was like great (laughs) that's all I needed I just needed like a foot in the door so I started off as a food runner And then more, and then like more and more, I just like expressed my interest to be in the kitchen and like, they were, you know, people get hired and then they quit. And so there became room and they liked how it worked in the front of the house. So they were like, let's just give you a shot. Why not? And like, that's all I needed. You know, Mm -hmm. I just needed just like somebody to just say yes. Mm -hmm. And so finally they were like, okay like, let's try it. And then within a couple of months, I was like running our ramen station by myself. And so I was like, I guess I could do this. Like, Uh I feel pretty good Uh about this. And so, yeah, so I was, and I'm just that like type of person that like, if I like really want to do something to the detriment of myself and others, (laughs) I just try to go and do it. It's just how I'm wired. So like, I just focus all of my attention and my energy to just try to like, do really well in that job but you know um cooking is like repetitive right Mm -hmm. especially you're just doing like kind of the same things over and over again and for myself especially watching all these shows and that's actually when like chef's table came out on netflix and it like really goes more deeper into kind of like what does it mean to be a chef and this and that and like i remember thinking i was like i can run like a noodle station on a friday night with like you know two three hundred covers like easy but I don't know how to cut an onion. 
And that's really <laughs> annoying, you know, like, because they just needed somebody to work the station. Yeah, so yeah. I get that. That's great. And they trained me on that and I did the thing, but like, you know, when people would say, oh, you're a line cook now. And like, you know, they would call me a cook. I'm like, but I don't know how to dice an onion. I don't know how to, like, I literally don't know how to like do basic knife work. I don't know how to saute something like mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. I had none of those basic skills. So it really bothered me because I also, when I was in, um, when I was younger, I'm classically trained in flute. Mm-hmm. So there's a school up in Rochester called uh, Eastman. And I was a student there for 15 years. And so I have that like understanding of like, this is your basis of tech, like technical skill. And this is how you build off of it. And it's like, just like music, it's like a craft, right? So I just kept like literally internally being so bothered by the fact that I couldn't do these things. Even though I was successful at this, it just felt wrong. And I was like, if I want to progress, if I want to actually become good at this and actually become a chef, I should probably learn how to dice a tomato, you know, (laughs) like that's probably important. So, um, I kept reiterating to my chefs at the time. I was like, this is what I want to learn. And they like kind of helped me out. You know, they moved me to like the, like the salad station so that I could practice knife work and this and that, but it was very limited. And, you know, it wasn't they're opening a Momofuku in DC. Like it's a lot of pressure. They don't have time to focus on somebody like who's just trying to like make it, you know, as a cook. <laughs> so what I did, and I'm not sure if you're familiar, but there is like a culture called staging. Um, and essentially uh, it comes from the French for stagier. And basically it's this idea that like you offer your services for free to a restaurant and in return, they teach you a skill mm. or like a set of skills, mm-hmm. but it's, it's essentially free labor for the benefit that you will learn. Like you'll pick up something that you never picked up from a, like where you originally work. Yep. So I did that. So I would literally just grab my knives. And so I was working as a barista in the morning. I, again, I was young. I had the energy of a stallion. <laughs> I'm listening <laughs> Don't have to this that and I'm anymore. like, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> so like I would, I had, I was a barista from 6 a.m. until 1230. Oh my God. And then I had an hour in between. And then I went to my line cook job until like, you know, 1 a.m. the next morning. And they just did that all over again. Oh again, gosh. never again, never again. I don't, I'm crazy. <laughs> like what was I thinking when I was 20? Anyways. Um, so I, I'm yeah, actually so, going to, um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to back us up a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, right before going to college, um, yeah. you had that one thought that was like, yeah. maybe I'll go into food. Yeah. But then like everybody around you was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I bet that was like a little bit demoralizing, but also like some of the common narratives I see is like, you have wasted all of your like intellect or like talent in academia or like in school and why like this is not where you could put your skills to use things like that um yeah but I feel like that like even like initial spark before college is like probably an indication of like maybe this is your passion Mm -hmm. um I also wanted to ask like yeah how do you think you changed like as a person after seminary honestly so I went into it very conservative like um and the particular seminary that I went to was a like what at least in my circles was considered like a very progressive seminary um and it was just a place where like I mean I think people assume that when you go to seminary everybody's a Christian and that's not true 
Mm. So like I was in class with like universal Unitarian Universalists and Jewish people, Muslims, like I like atheists, like there's like people like for whatever reason, like it, you don't have to just be Christian to like go to like a seminary. So I was in class with like people who thought and believed very differently than I did. And I think that was something that was so good for me mm-hmm. because you know, for myself, the thing on top of the critical thinking part, it was always like pushed into me, like, just have a discussion, you know, like not everyone is invited to the table or should be invited to the table, but if they're like a reasonable human being to a degree, invite them to the table, let's just talk. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I was always like raised um, in my home and my education. And so it was a lot of just like different conversations that I had with people like, you know, going to the food hall or like, sharing the same table at the library because we're both writing a paper but we don't want to write it so we just end up talking (laughs) you know and it was a lot of like realizing how much I just didn't know Mm. and like I didn't understand what was out there and that like I was part of a Christian Korean community that was very homogenous Mm -hmm. not just in terms of like literally how we looked but just how we thought and like everyone kind of thought very similarly and we felt like we had to think in that particular way or else we were like not Christian enough or something Mm -hmm. like that, right? Mm -hmm. What I learned through that time was that, you know, literally these like 10, 15 minute conversations, sometimes not even, just listening to people in their life and their experience with this religion and like God, it was just so like eye-opening in so many different ways. And was just like, my biggest takeaway was like, not just the fact that like, I don't know anything, but that like God and life and like people's interactions with God were so much more multidimensional than I realized. And that I will never understand all of it, but like, I should do my best to really try to see more dimensions than just the conservative Korean one that I knew. Mm. yeah well yeah I love that um I also wanted to say I admire you so much so inspiring to be like I have nothing to lose so I'm just gonna do this (laughs) (laughs) and I feel like that was also indication of how much like um you're passionate about food right um yeah yeah um so now we can go back to (laughs) oh all good sorry I'm also very verbose if you can't tell so I get into like tangents you're at um you worked I can't believe this is like really the hustle like I'm 22 and I don't think I could do that (laughs) listen but you you are post-covid you are post Roe v Wade you are post a lot of things so like the the trauma that y'all have through is not something that we had gone through yet so like we had the energy i we don't got no energy for anything anymore all right so you I did your totally job understand. at 6 12 and then did yes. your line cook and just yeah. 12 hours right so right in that middle where that sweet spot i had like an hour um i would go into other restaurants and just ask them if i could give them my labor for like 45 minutes and if they mm-hmm. could teach me something mm-hmm. or if i got cut early from my job i would try to go into other restaurants and just see if like yeah like and who's going to turn on free labor, right? Mm-hmm. So I would go into restaurants and like, that's where I would tell them like, hey, I don't know anything. I'm going to be very upfront with you, but I would love to learn X, Y, and Z. They'd be like, great. We have a ceviche station. Like we have to like cut um, vegetables all the time, like really specifically. 
you can do that. And I'm like, I'm just letting you know, it's going to take me an hour to <laughs> cut maybe three radishes, but I promise I will do them and I will do them the best I can. And they were like, well, you know, we weren't even planning on having you here. So it's fine. <laughs> so I would just sit there and just like, <laughs> like, slow, like, I'm just trying to be as exact as possible, you know, but it was through those times. And then just like badgering my chefs to like, just give me more projects like that. I started to get better, but I kind of saw the writing all in all. I was like, but whenever it comes to Friday, Saturday, because like I could do it, they would put me on back on those stations or like they, they didn't really care. Not, not that they didn't care. Actually, I take that back. They just didn't have time. Yeah. They didn't have the capacity to like really like pour into me like that. So mm-hmm. I realized that. So I was like, you know what? Listen, if it's not going to happen here, I need to find something else. So I was like looking around in DC and like, honestly, I wanted to go to New York because that's where like, you know, famously everyone wants to go to cook, Yeah. but I just felt like I, cu- I couldn't like muster up the finances and like all of that. And just like, I, I didn't have the support system there. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, like I had developed a lot of friendships with like my fellow cooks and stuff. And so I was just like, I feel like I should just stick it out a little bit more here. So that's what I did. And then I ended up going to a restaurant called Tail of Goat. And I apply to be a AM cook there. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you know the hierarchy, but essentially like a classic hierarchy is like, um, in terms of the cooks is like, you're a prep cook. So that's the AM team. And then you're like a line cook, then either like junior sous chef or like lead line cook, then you keep going up. So I was a line cook. So I took a pay cut and I took like a, like a position cut, but it was like, I want to learn how to wash a vegetable properly. If I don't know how to wash a vegetable properly, how am I supposed to cook the vegetable properly? If I like, you know what I mean? It was like, I just wanted to learn the basics and I wasn't doing any of that at my other job. So I quit that job, got thankfully hired and they really took a shot on me because again I was like I don't know anything but like please take me please <laughs> I feel God, like please. there's a theme but like yes. <laughs> lots of people taking chances on you. Yes. And like I guess I interview well. I don't know. You know, I just, or I just look so desperate. (laughs) So just like, Hey, please take me. And then, you know, thankfully they took a chance on me and then I got hired. And, and then one thing after another, like I just improved and I did my thing. And then I became a sous chef, like a couple, like a year, year, year and a half later or something like that. Yeah. That was where though I learned all of my like basic skills. And like, that's what, that's my purpose of why I went into the job. I never wanted to become management. I literally just want to be like, I want to be able to walk out of this place, knowing how to cut a cucumber, an onion, a tomato, like properly cut bread, you know, just like basic, basic, basic cooking skills. And then an opportunity came by where I was asked if I wanted to be in management. And I was like, sure. I mean, that looks great on a resume, you know, like, so I ended up doing that and yeah, so learned a lot, but that's kind of like how I ended up doing that. And then pandemic hit. So got laid off without realizing we were laid off because they were not specific about that. That was fun. (laughs) Um, I know, but then after that, um, you know, or like navigating through the pandemic, you know, I still stuck with cooking. My husband and I got married and he's also chef and he's actually the executive chef of this uh, restaurant. So I just pretty much do everything else. And right now, because of kind of how COVID impacted our industry, it's just 
like people think this is the dream, right? Like people think that opening a restaurant is like, if you're a chef, like that's your goal. Like that's your goal to like either like become the head chef slash owner of your own restaurant or to like helm some like big like restaurant, like corporation or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, especially in this post-COVID world, it's, it's the dream for some. And like, I like all the power to you. That's amazing but it was like never really our original kind of goal or desire, but it, it, it was an opportunity that kind of like fell into our laps. Um, but I'm actually in school. <laughs> I'm back in school. Like, so I'm doing a lot of things again. I don't know why I keep doing this to myself where I'm doing 18 million things at once. When but, you said you're overachiever, yeah. it was not an exaggeration. It was not an exaggeration. I don't know about overachieving. I think it's over stretching at this point. It's unhealthy. Oh my <laughs> but, gosh. Um, yeah, so I do, I'm actually in school to try to become a physician's assistant because Gosh. this, um, okay, industry is just too volatile, you know? <laughs> yeah, we can back up. That's okay. I'm sure there was questions. So <laughs> you endured post COVID layoff yep. and then decided to open your own business and then yeah. now I'm in school. <laughs> yes. All doing it all at the same time. Oh yes. I don't know what's wrong with me. I should probably get checked out. <laughs> All right, hold on. Um, mm-hmm. So how did you come to the, the idea of like opening the restaurant? Like how did that happen? And then like, so, to, how did you become yeah. interested in become, like going to grad school or not grad, going to school again for, to become a PA? Yeah, so the first question is that, so we have a friend here. Um, we've been with him since the Momofuku days. His name is Kevin. And um, he had a restaurant that both of us were helping out with during like peak COVID, like the start of COVID into like kind of like that first like full year of like Mm -hmm. lockdown. Mm -hmm. So we were doing all to go, but it was a job and it had health insurance and we were very thankful that like we were able to have that. So that happened and then, you know, we started to get out of COVID a little bit and then, but while that was all happening, like when I was at my previous job at Tail of Goat, um, I was working so many hours there I had health insurance thankfully but it like it wasn't the best you know so I didn't have medical dent or I didn't have dental I didn't have vision I didn't have any of those benefits I was working myself so hard and I wasn't really getting paid much because there's no money in the restaurants and on top of that there was like a lot of personal things that were going on so my health was just like deteriorating like crazy like we say it as a joke, but honestly, like, I really mean it when I say like, I'm 31, but my body's like 85. Mm. Like I can't reach for like a glass of water without like, like, (laughs) like, you know, I can't go to bed without needing to like crack my back and my neck like eight times. And so, yeah, my, my parents like opened a restaurants, um, for a while and then stopped and I can see them (laughs) aging very quickly also me because I grew up in the restaurant yeah like I'm 22 but like I have to foam roll my back every day (laughs) you bet you bet (laughs) so yeah so we went through that and then uh, my husband was working at a um at like a hotel restaurant with my friend Kevin or our friend Kevin. Kevin is just like kind of a big dreamer. He's like very much of like a visionary guy. And so he was like, I just want to open another restaurant. So he like got a deal for the space that we used to be in because the pre the 
business that came in after we were there like died in COVID. And so the space was open again. So he's like, let's just take it back. And then he was putting a lot of stuff into the space, but then he realized like he didn't have a chef. He didn't have somebody to like helmet. Like there was no way that he was going to do it because he was wrapped up with all the other stuff that he was doing. So it, again, like we said, it almost like was something that like fell into our laps. We weren't necessarily asking for it, but you know, him and my husband have known each other for a really long time. And so he was like, do you want it? Caleb was like, sure, let's try it. (laughs) So he said, Caleb said, yes. Um, And then all at the same time, we were also discussing. So right before COVID hit, like right before. So we were supposed to get married April 24th, 2020. Mm -hmm. Pandemic hits March 15th, 2020. Messes with all our plans. But on top of the plan of getting married, we were actually planning on moving to Japan for a year. Mm. And just like, because we had gone previously and we were just like, we're young. Like, let's just like go do our thing over there, you know? And so, but within all of those conversation was like, I was, I was sous chef at a Michelin starred restaurant. I was making like, just to be very frank, I was making 50K living in Washington, DC. That is nothing, <laughs> you know? And it was like, uh, if I wanted to continue doing the type of food that I wanted to do, I wasn't really probably going to get paid anymore, like maybe a little bit, but it's just like for the amount of labor I was doing it just like in my body breaking and just like seeing my parents owning like a small business for 30 years and just seeing like the health issues that they go through. is just like, this is not worth it. So as much as I love this industry, as much as I love doing the work that I do and like this life at a certain point, you just get too old for it, honestly. And like the world just gets shittier and shittier, unfortunately. And so we just had to like do basic math. It's like, if we're both going to do this, we're not going to be able to like survive and like have the 15 dogs that we want, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, and just like, it, it just, it's too hard. It's just too hard. So I've always like previous to like my cooking um, desires. Like I always wanted to do either politics or medicine when I was like really young. So like, it's never left me. Cause I used to do, when I used to go on like mission trips and stuff with my church, like it would, most of them were medical mission trips and I can speak Spanish. So I would translate for like our doctors. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I did like public health stuff, like towards the end of my time. And I realized like, that's something that I'm still really interested in. Um, so it was always there, like the, that kind of bug or whatever you want to call it, like inspiration was still there. And then I realized that maybe that's what I should go into. Um, so when I was, when we were like, when Caleb's working there and I was like in between jobs, like, cause again, I didn't know that I was laid off and I did, I had to figure something out. Mm-hmm. And then I worked for, you know, our friend for a hot second. And then that restaurant ended up closing. So I was just like, now I'm in limbo again and I really need a job. So my friend knew a friend who was opening up, uh, or who not opening up, who needed help with, um, their COVID testing clinic. Mm. And so I was like, sure. Like I have, they just needed somebody with managerial experience. I was like, I have that. And they're like, great, come on board. So I was COVID testing, like part of a clinic for about six months or something like that. And then I just transferred into the position that I'm in now with like a big company, um, and I do like, I'm just, I'm, I'm a receptionist, not just a receptionist. That's offensive. I am a receptionist. Um, and while I do that, I 
do my applications and stuff like that, like, or like I'm trying to apply to become a PA. So it's honestly just for like future, because like, again, like everyone thinks it's the goal, but it's so hard and it's mm-hmm. not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, we have this space and we're so proud of it, but it's not like we're banking on this to survive for 20, 30 years. It's like, we know this is eventually going to come to an end, an end. But ideally, this is kind of like, at least for my husband, his jumping off point, you know, for people to start recognizing his name and then his brand and kind of moving on from there. Whereas, but still in a volatile industry. Whereas for me, if I get into PA school, crossing my fingers, you know, hopefully. Yeah. And when I, if I do that and actually like do the thing, um, it's just much more of a stable income on top of like doing something that I really wanted to do, which is like, you know, be in medicine and help people mm-hmm, that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you have, yeah. are, are you guys thinking of um, ways that you can transition out of it, out of um, the restaurant? So I think for myself, it's like, if wherever I get into PA school, that's where we're going to move. And then for my husband, obviously, like, he would leave this restaurant, um, but he would just try to find something, like, in whatever city I, like, we end up in with my schooling to do something there. And I don't think it would necessarily be, like, opening, like, our own restaurant or, like, his own restaurant, but it would just be, like, hey, I know how to do this. Like, I'll be the corporate chef or something like that. You know what I mean? And so I think for him, though, like, this is not, I think, like, for him, this is, like, the path. This is, like, the path that he'll go. And then for me, given the way things are going, I'll do this for now. We'll see what I do later. But <laughs> seems you know like you mean? might try something entirely yeah, different. Maybe like knowing myself, like you'll we'll we'll catch up in five years. We'll see what happens there. You know what I mean? So, um, but hopefully that's the case um, that I'll get in and do that. But that seems to be the plan for now. For now, okay. Yeah. You know, if we don't go into zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I mean, um, doesn't seem um, impossible at the moment. <laughs> Literally, right? Um, I actually first, um, to the, for the listeners, I first yeah. um, found Roran on um, this post in Asian Hustle Network. Um, so I wanted to ask about that a little bit, where you were sharing um, some resources for anti-racism um, for small to medium um, food and beverage businesses. Um, mm-hmm. I was wondering um, if you had experienced like any sort of discrimination in the industry um, and how you came, yeah. <laughs> and how you came to like kind of try to share these resources with everyone. Which type do you have? <laughs> no, uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like racism, sexism, kind of like sexual harassment, all of the above right so it's just like to give one example one of the things that was told to me very early on when I had expressed my not only did I express my interest I was already working in the kitchen I think at that time for about a month I think and one of um, the higher ups we were just like talking about something and I think I was just talking about like because like I never realized the physical toll that it took and I think I was just like complaining or something saying oh like my arm hurts or like whatever um and then his response ended up being yeah you're too pretty to be in the kitchen oh my god okay right so there's that um yeah and you know 
I, yeah, it's just like, I don't even want to name all the things, but it's just like, yeah, like all sorts of discrimination. Um, because I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color, specifically I'm Asian, you know. Yeah, because the just, food industry space historically, at least in America, has been yeah. white male. Oh, for sure. And then, well, it's been led by white males, white, white cisgender males. Mm-hmm. And, but every, most of the people that are underneath are not. I agree. Yeah. Immigrants. They're all like my parents, like, you know what I mean? Like from all different countries, uh, that's who's cooking your food. Like, really? Like, yeah, sure. You see that white male cisgendered person, like at the, in the pictures and in the front of the kitchen and stuff like that. But like that guy ain't cooking your steak. He's just Mm -hmm. telling somebody to cook your steak, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, but yeah, so there was a, a number of things that have happened, but I think for us, especially in our current space, is that like there's only so much you can do as a coworker to. I mean, that's not that's the wrong way to phrase it. Let me take that back. There are certain things that you can do as a coworker to like help with that space, right? So you can provide a safe space for people to talk about it to you and be like a good coworker in that way. But there are, there are other things that you can do as a boss and especially as an owner to kind of create and cultivate a culture. And to explain, like, this is the stuff that is kosher. Like, this is stuff that we are okay with. And these are the things that are absolutely not, like, tolerable. Does shit happen? And do people make mistakes? Absolutely. But I think there's, like, there's room for zero tolerance. And there's room for you were upset because there's a lot of shit happening in your life. And we can, and you, you screamed at someone because of that. And it wasn't even about them. It was just about whatever was going on with you. Let's talk about that. Let's apologize let's do the right thing but also like you know there are things that we can acknowledge without just making it just like a black and white rule like mm. you're out you're this whatever and can't have room for like you being a human being yeah and like, so I love that. yes yeah so for us you know we've always tried to just be like a good coworker, like a safe space emotionally mentally for people who need to talk about this stuff if they ever needed to be supported to go to management, if they've gotten like abused in a certain way, you know, we would always be there as like a friend, again, as a coworker, but it's particularly in our space. It's something that we were very upfront with. And we said, we're also human. We're also first-time business owners. So this is not going to be perfect, but like our goal is not only do we want to give people a living wage, not only do we want to give people health insurance, like fully paid for, but we don't want people to come into work and have that like toxic environment that like the restaurant industry is famous for. Mm -hmm. And so we come from that. So there are things that like, you know, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't know, Mm -hmm. but we can try, we can try our best. And so that's kind of our approach to it is that we do everything in our power that we know how to do and accept feedback where this is like a a good work environment for Mm -hmm. people that, they shouldn't be scared of the, like certain things happening to them. And if it unfortunately does, there's pathways where we can resolve it properly. It's not just going to be a, just deal with it. Cause like I was sexually harassed at my previous job and like it was at one of my previous jobs and it was like kind of dealt with, but it's like, you know, it's like, I, I'm sure you've heard a lot of stories like this, but it was just like very unsatisfactory. It's like they had a talking to, and I was just like, yeah, but they literally like squeezed my butt and I think they should be fired. But here we are. I have to work with this person in tiny little quarters every single oh, day. I got it. Love that. Love that for us. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's difficult. A lot of us are obviously going through like collective trauma on top of like the individual trauma that we're going through, but there's only so much that we can do. And I think that's a line that we really try to like observe and to respect because, you know, we're friends with like a couple of the people that we have hired, but like, and I mean this in like the most gentle and like loving way as possible, but we're not your friends. You know what I mean? Like we're not your family. We are employer employee and we never want to cross that line. It's like, we will do as much as we can in our power under this roof to like make sure that it's a positive environment and do what we can to make sure that people feel safe working here, feel good about working here, feel inspired while they're working here. But it's not our job to like take care of all the other things. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of a, also an interesting balance that we're trying to figure out too. It's like, how do you respect that when you do really like genuinely care about these people, but like, you have to remember like, but I'm not, we are not their friend. We are not their family. Like Mm -hmm. we will control what we can control, but like, there are certain things that are not honestly like inappropriate for us to get involved with, you know? And like, we are very cognizant of that. And again, stumbling on our way up there but it's like where our heart and our intention and where we try to put our action as much as possible to mm-hmm. towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it is really, really hard. And even like the intention behind that, I feel yeah. like shows already lots of labor put into that, lots of thought put into that. We can come up on the last question because we're wrapping up in the hour. Sure, um, yeah. But PA school, do you know when um, your uh, decisions will come out? Uh, so I'm still applying and hopefully I will be able to put in all my applications by like the first week like July 4th weekend mm-hmm. hopefully That's um, next. And then, <laughs> I know but I'm almost done I'm almost there I'm <laughs> pretty right. close I just have to do like some finishing touches but hopefully I'll be able to figure out where I'm going by early next year I think um if I get an interview and I pass I'll know by like early next year to like mid next year and then We'll see how the restaurant goes, you know, like most, I don't know. I mean, you're in the rush, you've been in restaurants that so you know that like most businesses or restaurants like close within their first like year or two, especially during COVID. So, yep. you know, if we get enough customers and like we survive, we'll see how it goes. I might like defer a year. Um, mm-hmm. How just old to see, like, is how the this is, restaurant huh? right now? How right old? now, six months. Six months. All right. Yeah. So by the time I get my decision and we, if we did decide to go right there, it would have been like a year and a half. Uh, uh-huh. But I think if things are going really, really well, I can just like defer a year and then we'll just like do it almost like, cause our, our lease actually is like up around that time. So mm-hmm. it like kind of works out perfectly. Yeah, yeah. And that would be more than enough time for like us to kind of establish our name, establish mm-hmm. what we can do, what we're capable of. So that whatever the next step is, it's like we have a really strong piece of our portfolio to be able to be like, you can trust us. Give us money. <laughs> I'm excited for yeah. you. Yeah. Lots and lots of work, but I'm excited. Yeah. For, for sure. where you're going. But yeah, thank you, thank you so much, Warren, for coming on the show. I think yeah. I learned so much. <laughs> I was inspired too. Oh, so. thank you. Well, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. 